0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to QalamCampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. now enjoy the podcast
1: bismillahirrahmanirrahim alhamdulillah alhamdulillah wa wassalamu ala ibadihi خصوصاً على سيد الرسول وخاتم الأنبياء وعلى آله الأسكياء وأصحابه الأتقياء أما بعد We continue today our read of Shaykh Abd al-Fatah Abu Ghudda Rahimahullah Ta'ala's book Islamic Manners uh, We will start with the chapter on page 83 where he titles it Brief Advice to My Dear Muslim Sisters Bismillah.
2: So now we can the law salt of Sinama advice my dear Muslim sisters. When you intend to visit your relatives or Mus or your Muslim sisters, carefully select the appropriate day and the hour of your visit and its duration. There are appropriate and appropriate times for paying visits even to relatives and friends.
1: So these are things that he's already mentioned um regarding brothers' advice to everyone, which mm-hmm. is that when you go to visit someone don't think about yourself, think about the other person. When is a good time to visit? What's a good duration to hang around? Sometimes, rather than going to visit someone, it may be better to just send something more convenient for them, easier for them. <laughs> sheik Ash-Shiflitani, at times he would say to people that, you invite me to your homes for dinner, but the truth is that it's very difficult me with the hectic schedule that I have. So. If you want, you can send food to my house and that'll be a lot more convenient for me. Now obviously that shouldn't be said to every person because that'll make them feel distant. But if you have the right relationship with someone and you understand that person is really trying hard, you can have a conversation about what is feasible and what isn't feasible. So here he says that when you intend to visit your relatives or your Muslim sisters, carefully select the appropriate day and hour of your visit and its duration. There are appropriate and inappropriate times for paying visits, even to relatives and friends. You know that this is a time where people's families return back from work. And that's time when people usually spend together, they're catching up on things that need to be done, maybe having a meal together, cleaning up, just catching up to speed. It's possible that 4 or 5 o'clock time isn't a good time to visit people. So you have to be mindful of that. Yes. Ensure that your visit is
2: pleasant, brief and enjoyable avoid turning it into a boring, wearisome, inquisitive, and lengthy visit. Instead, it should be a visit whose purpose is to rekindle and nourish an old friendship or kinship. The visit is desirable if it is short sure and considerate, and it is undesirable if it is long and tiresome, during which conversation moves from being purposeful and valuable to being useless and useless. The honorable Tabi'i Muhammad ibn Shihad al-Zuhri said, when a meeting becomes too long, she then has a a
1: it. So here he's saying that when you go to visit someone, make sure that the, the meeting is pleasant. That you keep it brief. When someone hangs around too long, you run out of discussion points. You run out of talking points. And before you know it, you're now wasting time. You're backbiting. You're talking about things that aren't necessary. But if you time your meeting, you have a goal, a vision, that I'm going to head to this meeting to rekindle an old friendship or to serve the rights of kinship, that go visit my uncle, my cousin, or go visit a friend that I haven't seen in a while, check up on them, ask how they're doing. You go with a purpose, you can now accomplish something. But when you hang around for a long time, the host out of kindness may say nothing. Uh, They'll continue to host you. And they may even drop hints, but at times the guest doesn't understand those hints. And they hang around and hang around long after the party's over, long after the gathering's over. And they've definitely overstayed their welcome. Here, the author is pointing out that these are all things that you must avoid. Avoid just being somewhere aimlessly and uselessly. He quotes, the famous scholar of hadith and tabi'i, Ibn Shahab al-Zuhri, who said that when a meeting becomes too long, shaytan then has a share in it. Shaytan then has a share in it. Every meeting, every gathering, has its window of being beneficial. If I may say, every friendship has that. There's a point where hanging around the other person gives you an opportunity to learn from them, to offer them something, to have good moments together. but You'll notice that when people are roommates, or when they they spend way too much time together, this happens with siblings, it happens with spouses, it happens unfortunately with children and parents too, in that dynamic. That when you're around each other for too long, you end up becoming toxic towards one another. You start sliding in snarky remarks, you become very harsh in your words. When you know of yourself that that's not you, and the people around you know that that's not you. But then all of a sudden, you become very harsh. Therefore, create space between you and other people. Create space. Try not to make a habit of visiting someone every day or multiple times a day. Be it someone that's very close to you. There's a famous saying in Arabic. They say, "zur غِبًّا Visit infrequently, you will grow in love. Zur ghibban. Visit infrequently. Don't come to my house all the time. Don't come see me all the time. تَزْدُدْ hubban. As a result of that, you will grow in love. That when you see each other after a while, you'll have good things to say. Similarly, there is another famous um, saying, سَأَطْرُبُ dar That I seek from you to live far away from me, so that we grow closer to one another. Even though it sounds... It doesn't make sense, right? How is living far away from someone going to increase you? But that's what happens. That when you're away from someone, you begin to think of them. You appreciate their memory. You appreciate their kindness. You appreciate the good moments you had with them. So when you do meet them now, you make a commitment that, Mama, I haven't seen you in so many months. I really want to cherish these moments. I don't want to waste a single one of these moments because I don't get these moments. But that same person, you put them in that house with the other person for weeks or months, they become toxic towards one another. Hence, breaking away and then coming back together. Breaking away and coming back together. Being with your beloved ones is important. But the point that he's making here is, space it out. There is so much barakah in what our deen teaches us. Everything our deen teaches us to do has so many layers of fa'idah, so many layers of benefit. And one of the things I think of is praying salah in jama'ah. When we go to the masjid to pray salah in jama'ah, there are so many benefits. There's a spiritual benefit, community element to it. There's a sacrifice involved for going for the salah which helps you focus that much more in the salah because you've sacrificed something to be there. But then on top of that, it also creates brief breathers throughout the day. Brief breathers. Where now you have separation, so you come back together. You have separation, you come back together. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to manage relationships. There are some people, they are very clingy in their relationships. And they're only able to maintain the honeymoon phase of every relationship. I'm not talking about marital relations, I'm talking about all relationships. They get very clingy, they become BFFs very fast, and then whatever the equivalent is for worst enemies, they become that too then. Where they love intensely, and then they hate as passionately. One of the last narrations that Imam Bukhari alayhi, narrates in his Al-Adab al-Mufrad, it's a statement from a Sahabi, not necessarily marfu' to Rasulullah sallam where he said, yes, أَحْبِبْ حَبِيبَكَ عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُونَ Be very mindful of how much you love your beloved. أَحْبِبْ <speaking> حَبِيبَكَ <in Hebrew> Be careful, be easy when it comes to offering love. عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُونَ Because one day that friend may become your greatest enemy. بغضك عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُونَ حَبِيبَكَ And be mindful of how much you hate your enemy because tomorrow that enemy may become your, your friend. Someone who you can't stand, you end up marrying them. It happens in life. Someone who you love very dearly, now just seeing their name on your phone causes stress. It literally inflicts PTSD where you you can't sleep, you can't think because of how badly that relationship ended. Wise people, they balance relationships. They tread carefully. And they ensure that every relationship is based on something. There is an anchor that brings that relationship together. This is one of the most important advices that I give to young couples that are getting married. That look, when you marry, Getting along with your spouse or building a relationship with them, inshallah, that'll be the easier one. Because you've selected each other, you've chosen each other, you're happy and you're willing to enter into this relationship. The problem is building the relationship with all of the people that you're not getting married to. But now you will have a relationship with them. Because those are not the people that you've said, نَكَحْتُهَا وَقَبِلْتُهَا تُ You have said wa وقبلتها to. you did not say that to your brother-in-law, sister-in-law, uncle-in-law, that's the word. Mother-in-law, father-in-law—you didn't say that to them, but they're a part of thee. They're part of the package. So now there are those people who have their guard up and they refuse to build any relationship because they've been fed horror stories. And then there are those people who go all in. That isn't good either. Where your besties now with everyone in the family overnight—it's a very risky move. Very risky move. Because you have to understand and you have to assess first before you go all in with any relationship whether you feel the other person can handle that or not. They might misunderstand what you're doing and then overcommit to you and with every relationship when someone expresses a lot of love, when the relationship feels intimate, a byproduct of that is that there are expectations. And those expectations are what break down relationships. That's why people who have the ability to pardon, who have the ability to show compassion, people who don't have high expectations, or I like to call them high-maintenance relationships. I've categorized all of my relationships like this by individuals. These are high-maintenance people. These are low-maintenance people. Low-maintenance people, they're very easy to deal with. Those are the best relationships. Because you could have brief moments together, so much love, no complaining, everyone's happy. High maintenance relationships are hard. They're very hard. These are people that no matter how much you offer them, they're still unsatisfied. That you didn't do this. There was one young lady. She once. This is years back. She shared an incident with me that she was having problem with her problems with her in laws. Her mother in law would visit, and she would enjoy uh, taking care of her mother in law at least as much as she could you know, think of her as an elderly lady and provide and take care. But she said her in-laws would always complain. At one point her her in-laws complained that she made a meal. So they said that you made chicken, but don't you know that when you serve your in-laws, you're supposed to have chicken, lamb, beef, vegetable, rice, and bread all at once. So then she says to me, we didn't even have all that on my walima. <laughs> we didn't have all that variety on my walima. And originally, when I heard this, I thought there was some humor involved and maybe she's just being sarcastic. No one can have such high expectations. But when people don't know where their boundaries are, they expect too much. And this is the easiest way to crack a relationship open and to destroy a human being. If you want to break a human being, don't ever want that though. But just as an observation... Have ridiculous expectations of them. Do this with your kids and watch what happens to them when they grow up. It's a perfect chance to great, crack a human being open. Set a lot of expectations and just don't be happy with them. And then say all you want to that I'm trying to be a positive influence. It's a lie. Anas bin Malik talks about how Rasulullah mentored him. Nabi never, Sallallahu he he never scolded me. Lima Sanatakada, Halla Sanatakada. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam never said to me, Why did you not do this this way? He wasn't micromanaging people, giving them goals, giving them freedom, allowing them to grow. When they needed to be caught, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi was waiting there with his arms out, yet giving them the opportunity to experience life. So when you go into any relationship, the in-law when I was speaking of earlier. Rather than one few days into your marriage saying to your sister-in-laws that we're like sisters now, calm down a little, slow it down, buddy, right? She's like my mother, I'm like her daughter, slow down. Let's get there, how about that? Let's build the relationship, let's explore this and let's see what kind of relationship this is going to turn out to be, okay? That whole thing that my daughter-in-law is like my daughter, it's a little tricky. Right? Because is she though? Like really is she? Would you expect that much of your own daughter? Without expecting your daughter to almost say something back? So you don't get to say she's like my daughter. Because if you say that, then you have to give her the liberty to then maybe be the whole package. Right? When you are establishing relationships, slowly, easy. First figure out whether high maintenance or... Low maintenance, and then posture yourself accordingly, and you commit accordingly. You slowly ease into people. I am not saying that you should keep yourself at distance at all times from your relatives. I'm not saying that. And neither am I saying that you should be there all day and just be with them all the time. Find a place in the middle. The issue is that if you overcommit, this is the problem with overcommitting to relationships. If you overcommit to a relationship, you'll be very miserable. If that person isn't a good human being. Because then now everyone expects you to be good to the relative, and since you've set such high standards, you now have to follow through whether you like it or not. And if you say anything foul, people will point their fingers at mm-hmm. you that you're the one that's being the Scrooge here, you're the one that's not looking after my brother, or my sister-in-law, you're the one that's not doing this, you're the one that's not doing that. So ease into relationships, slowly ease into relationships. And even those even those relatives or friends that are close to you, that you've had from childhood, be mindful, don't get too close, right? Understand every human being has a role in your life and you have an equal role in their life. There are some people who you are and should be an open book with because their relationship means that much, right? And it's cordial and it's two-way where people are respectful and they're also offering as much as they're taking. But there are other human beings that you have to realize, unfortunately, their example is like a lion that's just waiting for its prey to slip. And they're gonna jump on you and they're gonna attack you and they'll take from your flesh and they'll leave you beaten and wounded on the ground. Right? Every relationship has its place. Be kind to everyone. Love everyone. From your side, be as respectful as possible. But don't overexpose yourself. حَبِيبَكَ عَسَىٰ أَن يَكُونَ be mindful of how much you love your beloved because one day they may become your your enemy. You have to be careful of that. Amr ibn Asr radiallahu anhu, when he became Muslim, it's fascinating because when he became Muslim, he had to say to Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam. O messenger of Allah, I am willing to become Muslim on the condition that Allah forgives my sins because I've committed so many atrocities against Islam and the Muslims. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to him, "Of course, Allah will forgive you. You're becoming Muslim; everything in the past is forgiven." Then Ahmad bin Aswad interacted with Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had so much love when he interacted with people. He was very kind, very genuine, very loving. See, there's a you may think I'm contradicting myself. I'm not. The way you carry yourself should always be full of empathy and compassion. When I'm saying overcommitting, I'm talking about oversharing, inserting yourself into the other person's private area, their personal life. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam didn't visit everyone's houses frequently anha <laughs> says, and the hadith is in Bukhari, that when I was young, from a young age, I remember Nabi used to visit us in the mornings and evenings. The hadith of Hijrah. Because then she says that one day the Prophet came in the afternoon time and he wouldn't generally come at that time. And then he said to her, "I he said to Abu Bakr Siddiq that have anyone else that's in the room leave. And he said, oh Messenger of Allah, they're all family. What is it? And then they talked about Hijrah. So there were people who Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam visited their homes two times a day. That was Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an. But that wasn't for every other Sahabi. There's a difference. Love and compassion, one thing. But then inserting yourself into that person's private life, that comes with time. That you build that trust. So Amr bin Asa radiallahu an he experienced so much love from Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Always loving people. Always respectful, attentive. So he asked Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Who is most beloved to you? In his heart he was thinking that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will say my name, and this gathering right here if people will hear it, and it will be set for the record, that I was the greatest sahabi. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, Aisha, she is most beloved to me. So he said, fair, that makes sense. I mean, it's his wife. Man. Who's next? What did Rasulullah Sallallahu say? Abuha, her father. Now, depending on which riwayah you read, there are, he continues to ask and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam names more people and more people and more people until at some point he stopped asking because his name didn't come. He was publicly asking a question and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wanted to ensure the answer he was giving was a matter of fact. So everyone would know that these were people who were with Rasulullah from the earliest times. The fact that his name wasn't in the first four people didn't mean that Nabi didn't offer him respect, that he didn't offer him love. But everyone has their, uh, their place. Similarly, we see with Allah Taala. Not all servants are the same with Allah. Allah says that those who disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their hearts are blind of His love. And they are those who believe. And they continue to sacrifice. And Allah tests them. And they stand firm. And they keep doing dhikr of Him. And they keep sacrificing for Him. They don't give up. And for those people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala slowly draws them in. And then He opens up His asrar and His secrets to those hearts. And these people, they walk among us, but they can see the world from a very different lens because they have accomplished a shade of wilaya, a friendship of Allah. And therefore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has opened their hearts to realities that others will never see. And then what's the final analogy Allah gives to them? they are like cattle Balhum أضل rather they are further uh, misguided الغافرون their biggest mistake was that they were forgetful of Allah that's how the heart goes numb this is how the eyes become blind this is how the ears go deaf how does the ayah end غافرون this is the beauty of the Quran That at the end of the ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala delivers key adjectives that capture everything that was said in the previous verse or the previous set of verses. Most of us, we just do Ya'alamoon ta'alamoon and we quickly rush through Quran. (laughs) But if you slow down a little and you pay attention, Ula'ikahumul ghafilun. So, what's the solution? What's the next ayah? Ula'ikahumul ghafilun then Walillahil Asma'ul Husna. بِهَا That's the solution. That Allah has beautiful names, Father بِهَا So invoke Allah with those names. And then the ayat continue. So then there are those hearts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings in near. And the amazing thing about the relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that you can fully commit to it. You don't have to worry because Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala promises no betrayal Inna Allah la yudee'u ajra muhsinin Wa hal jazaa'u al-ihsani illa al-ihsan Inna Allah yuhibbul muhsinin All these verses Allah loves those who do good Allah will never waste good deeds is the recompense of re- goodness other than excellence itself what else is there going to be Ma ya'malu Allahu bi 'adabikum in shakartum wa amantum Nabi said that Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam tells us in a riwayah that you just have to start the journey and Allah will take care of everything else. He waits for you to initiate. Friendship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that close relationship is available to everyone, but you will need to initiate it. You will have to sacrifice first. And the more you commit to it, the longer you trust Allah and you keep firm with your ta'alluqat Allah, Allah will open up your heart. Right? And then once Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up someone's heart, their life from there onwards changes. The insan focuses too much on building the way they are perceived by other human beings. We're too worried about our persona. This is basically the Obsession of the insan. Most of us, if we were to be honest, we live our lives wondering how people are going to see us. What are they going to think of us? People will work decades of their lives to get a fancy house just so someone can say, good home. Right? But when a person builds a relationship with Allah, one of the first things that happens is... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows you to see that there's no purpose in serving yourself. Focus on loving Allah. Allah will take care of you. Right? Today we read the riwayah of the sahabi who spent the night with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he spent the night with the Prophet of Allah with the niyyah of doing khidmah, serving the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the riwayah says that Rasulullah woke up in the middle of the night. So the Sahabi, he presented um, the, the Wadu' the water of wudu to Nabi wasallam, And also, anything who who some of the basic needs, maybe a container to relieve himself in, or maybe other, something else, Miswaq, something that was needed at that time. In that moment, his khidma, his service to the Prophet ﷺ meant so much. The Prophet ﷺ appreciated how genuine he was. So, what did he say to him? Sal. What do you want? Tell me. So, he said, As'aluka muraafakataka fil jannah. I want your companionship in jannah. He asked for, like, he just went straight for the prize, went straight for the kill. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, what do you want? He said, I want to be your companion. I want to be with you in Jannah. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, anything else? How about we start with small steps? An eclairs, maybe a lollipop. You know, like, how about we take it easy? He's go straight for the kill. I want your companionship. So what did Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him? He said to him, أَعِنِّي عَلَى نَفْسِكَ بِكَثْرَةِ السُّجُودِ Help me against yourself. أَعِنِّي عَلَى نفسك. Help me against yourself. Because you keep holding yourself back as human beings. We are our greatest barriers. أَعِنِّي عَلَى نفسك. Help me against you. With what? بِكَثْرَةِ السُّجُودِ By doing sajda abundantly before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives someone um, basira, they in Arabic they make a distinction between basara and basira. Basara they say is what the eye sees, basira is what the heart sees. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala then, just like with all relationships, you can go, you have to be careful with them. And the further you go in the relationship, the more you get out of it. But the relationship with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is such. There's no betrayal here. You have, to earn your, you have to earn your stripes though. Allah will test you. Allah will put you through difficulty. And if you're one of those people who, the moment life gets difficult, you bail, then that's upon yourself. Right? That when a person does good, it's for them. And if a person does wrong, then that's also against the individual. Khair. Let's circle back to where we started off. Here, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghuddar, ta'ala, says, that in any relationship, friends or relatives, make sure your meeting with other people is purposeful. And be mindful of overstaying your welcome. Because when a meeting becomes too long, Shaitan then has a share in it. In the footnote, the translator then adds a small little line there, where he says, this also applies to phone calls. That's a very cute interpretation. Because that's so true though, right? I mean, who goes to visit people these days? Not that much, maybe on the weekend or something. But texting, you know that one person who keeps messaging in the groups when everyone's done with the conversations? That person just keeps sending emojis and keeps sending gifts, and they just keep going at it again and again. Mahalan, <laughs> rwaya, slow down a little bit. Go ahead. Ensure that you're
2: Talk is of value and benefit. Keep away from backbiting, gossip, and idle talk. A wise woman
1: does not have time for such talk. Yeah. He's highlighting these things for women specifically, possibly because he noticed that in his society, based off his observation, that women were spending a lot of time chatting and talking about things that were unnecessary. And therefore creating fitna. But the reality of the matter is, we unfortunately are all guilty of this. We are all guilty of this. That we get caught into backbiting, gossip, and idle talk. May Allah protect us. Okay, let's continue.
2: Wedding, the sunnah of attending a wedding. If invited to a marriage ceremony or a wedding celebration, you should accept the invitation unless it includes, includes prohibited acts. Attending wedding is a part of the noble sunnah of Rasulullah Islam regards marriage as an act of worship and obedience to Allah. <laughs> For this, the jurors have mentioned that it's preferable to contract the marriage in the
1: masjid. Okay. So the first thing he says here is that when you are invited to a wedding ceremony or a marriage celebration, you should accept the invitation unless it includes prohibited acts. So if there's something haram happening there, then you excuse yourself. Now there's a lot of discussion here because there's a lot of nuance that could be discussed. But for now what I will say is this. When you are invited to a gathering where haram is going to happen, there are multiple ways that you can handle this. The first thing you can do is just choose not to go altogether. In that case, see if you can convey to the host why you choose not to attend. Do it privately, do it personally, let them know. That hey, you know, there are things that are going to happen at the wedding that are beyond my comfort zone. So, um, I won't be attending. If you can't attend a gathering, it's always a good idea to send a gift anyway. That way the individual who hosts, who invited you originally doesn't feel that you not attending the gathering means that you don't care or love them. Sending a gift goes a long way. I think better than that maybe be attend the gathering briefly even if it's at the beginning or tail end of the event. If you can't stay for the entire event, that makes sense. There are many times where I'll be invited to an event. Sheikh Abdel Nasser and I were at a wedding. And we sat and we were just enjoying the meal and being with people and talking. And the bride and groom got up to do a dance. And we said, oh, that's our cue. Gotta go. Right? Just got up and left them. Because now the the gathering was transitioning into uh, an environment that we didn't feel comfortable with. So maybe you can attend the beginning part, say your salaam to people, greet them, and then take leave. When people get married or when they have their big events, they're usually doing it at a time where something significant is happening in their life. By showing support and being there, it will mean the world to them. My mother rahimahullah, used to say to me that when someone invites you, try your best to go. Because for you, it's just a meal, but for them, it's a memory of their life. So don't look at it from your perspective and be selfish. Just go. Sit with people. Smile. Show up with the gift. And they will remember this. (laughs) Um, The ulama do say that if you are someone who is followed in the community, and by you attending, people will assume that you are legitimizing the haram that's happening, then you shouldn't go. Allahu alam, Allah knows best. It seems as if people know what's haram, and they know what's right. Do you guys understand? Like people know what's haram, and they know what's right. Now unless you're actively saying that this is legitimate, or this is a good thing to do, which is clearly wrong, my position still is that maybe briefly attend and then leave. It goes a long way. When you stop attending these gatherings altogether, the purpose is so that you don't legitimize it, but the problem is, the byproduct of that is that family members, friends, and society at large will then view you as outcast. That this is that person who doesn't attend people's gatherings. So any influence you think you may have had will probably diminish. Right? So balance it carefully, monitor the situation, see how you feel, and then communicate it accordingly with the host. Um, he says that Islam in Islam, marriage is considered as a ta'a, as an act of worship. For this reason, the jurists recommend that marriage contracts are conducted in the masjid. It's ja' is permissible to conduct marriages anywhere. You can conduct them at a hall or at a home. A masjid is definitely a good place to conduct a marriage. It's the house of Allah. And when someone gets married in the masjid, the community attends. And it's such a beautiful place to start the relationship from. One of the amazing things about doing a nikah in the masjid, is that because of the event Relatives friends and family will be able to come to the masjid who probably wouldn't have ever made it otherwise Right there was a time When earlier when I was in Chicago that if I was ever asked to speak at a wedding I would always make time for it. I would always go to the weddings and I made them a priority because I felt that there was an Audience there that I didn't have the chance to that wouldn't have the chance to speak to otherwise so I would utilize that as, an, as a moment to maybe say two good words, right? Two nice things. And hopefully Allah will take it from there and guide them to wherever they're destined to go, wherever their path leads them. I don't do that so much these days though. Marriages are such a time killer. There's so much dead time and so much time wasted at weddings that at this point in my life, going to weddings is something that I do um, out of absolute necessity. Absolute necessity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. So he says it's preferable to, con, uh, to contract the marriage in the masjid. I think this is a very good thing. May Allah give us tawfiq. Yes. This is based on a hadith reported by Imam Tirmidhi and Imam Ibn Majah.
2: Publicize the marriage, execute it in the masjid, and celebrate it.
1: Publicize the marriage. Maybe you saw some such sort of publicize the marriage. Marriage is not a private affair, it's public. You announce it to people. And then execute it in the masjid and celebrate it. And take the duff as a one sided drum. Celebrate it with the duff. It's a good thing. Yes. Another hadith
2: reported by Imam Ahmed and Al Hakim and I support the first part of the hadith, publicize the marriage. It is also supported by a third hadith, supported by Imam Ahmad al-Tirmidhi al and nisai and Ibn Majah rahimah al The difference between a legitimate marriage and an illegitimate relationship is the presence of voices and the, the I, That's
1: fair. That, that's the main fact, right? That's one of the main differences. You know, why would someone keep their relationship with their spouse a secret? Now there could be cases, I know. There are some scenarios where it's safer to keep it a secret. Right. Um, but except for those few exclusions, for the most part, you should not hide your marriage. Right? You should keep it public. Yes.
2: There is no dispute among among Muslim scholars that in a wedding celebration Rasulullah <inaudible> allowed women to use the duck. The most valid opinion among some scholars is that men can also use a duck in order to publicise the marriage, thus making it known near and far. The noble Islamic purpose of such publicity is to
1: distinguish... Now, when it comes to the duff, using this duff, um, call it a duff. The, the, the purpose of using it is where the scholars differ. Some scholars, they say that the duff is more for lahu. It's a part of the entertainment of the night. Just enjoy yourself, you listen to it, someone might sing some poetry along with it. You kind of uh, celebrate using the duff. Other ulama, they say, it's not for celebration. Rather, the duff should be used ala wajh al ialan To announce something. It's, it's literally, they say, the Duff is being used as a tool to get the attention of people. The reality is, it could be both. It could be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yes, go ahead. Um, the
2: noble Hadith mentioned about the difference between a legitimate halal marriage and an illegitimate relationship is the presence of voices and the dub is explained by our ulama as follows. By voice is meant that the nikah should be announced and mentioned to the people. Voice also refers to singing of legitimate andershii and songs.
1: Yeah, poetry. It's a good thing. You know, it's uh, something that's being lost with our times. You don't find poets these days. When historically, uh, Muslims were at the forefront of having uh, mastery in expressing themselves using words, they were good at it. I really hope that we can head back there inshallah, that we have people among us who take interest in language and arts and, and, and take us back to that culture. You read the works of the muhaddithun, Mufassirun, any great Muslim scholar, I kid you not, You pick up any work and you'll find poetry. In between paragraphs, there'll just be a line here, a line there, a line here, a line there. It shows you these people were cultured. That was the form of art. That's how people shared. But these days, it's mushkin to find it. I'm telling you, you talk to out of out of a hundred, ten people may even know a few verses of poetry by heart. Yes, go ahead.
2: Attending a wedding is one of the rights of brotherhood among, among Muslims. It fulfills the requirement of publicity and it reinforces the testimony of the marriage. It also gives you a chance to join your brethren in this pious act by which they complete half of Islam which leaves only the second half for them to uphold. Attending a wedding also honors the husband and wife by having the relatives, friends and other pious people to share in their happiness. It blesses them with guests that pray to Allah for their righteousness, success, affluence and prosperity.
1: Okay folks, we'll stop here inshallah. We have just one or two chapters left. If Allah wills in our next class, we will conclude. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts, uh, grants barakah in our gathering and makes us from those who do amal upon what we learn. Wa sallallahu wa ta'ala alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.